The Knicks were absolutely embarrassed this Sunday at the Garden by the lowly Sacramento Kings. Fire Fisdale chants have already arrived, and it's not even Thanksgiving yet. What in the world is going on in Knicks land right now? Our buddy, longtime Knicks beat writer Mark Berman drops by to take us inside the locker room after the Knicks fell to 1-6. and six. We also chat with the guy who wanted all the smoke with the Black Mamba and helped get the Knicks to the NBA Finals, the great Chris Childs. We're not pulling any punches for this podcast. Next on Big Apple Buckets with the New York Post. Welcome back to Big Apple Buckets, a New York Post, New York Knicks podcast. I'm your host, Kazim Famuide, but you can call me Kaz because that's what everybody else calls me, and Kazim is kind of long for people, so I get it. We'll be coming at you once every single week, breaking down your New York Knicks. The Post-Knicks beat writer Mark Berman and our NBA writers will join us each and every week. We'll also have current and former players along with celebrity Knicks fans along the way as we bring you the best New York Knicks content out there. So let's get this show started, baby. This past week of Knicks games have been flat out embarrassing. I mean, there was so, you feel like there was something to build on uh, with the with the loss against the Boston Celtics, a team that's probably going to contend for the Eastern Conference Championship, a team that absolutely embarrassed the Knicks just a few nights earlier in their home opener, and uh, losing. You know, there's, there's one there's one thing about losing games, but if you lose to a, a great contested turnaround jumper by the team's best player in their home court. You could kind of live with that. What happened Sunday night with the New York Knicks against the Sacramento Kings is something you can't even really – it's it's a doggy bag. It's, it's poo-poo. It's something you don't even take anything positive from. Um, you know, I think Julius Randle said it best. He said this is one of those games that you can't even look back on and, you know, see any positives from it. Uh, effort was lacking. Um, playmaking was just – abhorrent you know the jump shooting just they could not buy a bucket from anywhere that wasn't inside the paint and uh the Knicks just looked lifeless out there I don't know if it was because it was a Sunday I don't know if people was out hanging out Saturday night I don't know what was going on but the one thing you could said about this Knicks team for the first six games was that they fought they fought each and every game they put out effort they actually played with a sense of urgency like they were trying to change the narrative of what people thought this Knicks team was going to be, especially with a, a, a roster of players who have always seemed like they had a chip on their shoulder and a, and a prized rookie. So, you know, seeing that game against the Sacramento Kings this past week, uh, this past Sunday, was just um, really embarrassing and really troubling. And even more troubling, uh, as far as my own take on the thing, was towards the middle of the game, the middle of the third or fourth quarter, you can hear these faint, Fire Fisdale chance starting to break out in 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 the garden, and I get it. I know Madison Square Garden is a hard place to play. I know you got to be built differently to coach here, to play here, to work here. I get it, but at some point, New York Knicks fans, you got to kind of take some accountability for yourself as well, right? I, I I get it. You don't you don't hear fire. You didn't hear fire Brett Brown chance when the Sixers were getting dominated each and every game. You don't hear, you know, fire Luke Walton chance. You know, when they were, you know, they, they started their season one and five. Luke Walton, he coached the Warriors. He coached the Lakers. He got let go. You weren't hearing fire Walton chance in, in Sacramento. But for some reason, you know, and understandably so, 
You know, Fizdale, he may have his quirks. He may have his things that some people may not like about him, whether it's rotational or playing players where they probably shouldn't play. But at some point, you can't turn your home court advantage into a disadvantage. You can't have players going in there shell-shocked, guys who are borderline all-stars, guys like Julius Randle, who was looking to have another breakout season for the Knicks. He was looking like a guy who would almost make the the loss of Kristaps Porzingis staying just a little bit less, just being able to get 20 and 10 each and every night like he got for the New Orleans Pelicans, like he got against the San Antonio Spurs in the first game of the year. You kind of thought he was going to be a guy who was going to take a step up and make the transition of R.J. Barrett turning into the franchise player a little less hard for him. But he's taken a regression, and now you can kind of see the Boo Birds starting to come out for him. We saw the Boo Birds come out for Dennis Smith Jr. earlier in this season, and who knows what he was going through mentally, especially to find out what happened in his personal life later on. You know, at the same time, sometimes, Knicks fans, you got to take some accountability for yourself. You got to be in there, in there all the way or not in there at all. You can't be shooting yourselves in the foot. You are the greatest fans in the world. You are New York City basketball fans. You are the New York Knicks faithful. The last thing you need to do, especially in November, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. The turkey ain't even been pulled out the oven. Stuffing hasn't even been cooked yet. And you're over here booing your fans, booing your players, booing your coach, talking fire Fisdale chance. Let me tell you something. You fire a coach, that's not going to help. That's not going to save everything. That's not going to save the season. You got who you got. You got the players that you have. Those guys, for all it's worth, they play hard for him. He may not have the best X's and O's. He may not be Steve Kerr. He may not be Greg Popovich. He may not be any of these guys. But those dudes play hard for him. And the last thing you want to do is start starting fire Fisdale chants for, for a guy who hasn't even gotten his, his, his legs under him in this season yet. It's not even Christmas yet. Let's get into December. Let's get into January before we start talking about anybody's employment with the New York Knicks. I'm fired up, but... Somebody who wasn't fired up, a professional, a guy who's been here for over almost 20 years. Let's get to my man real quick. Like we always do at this time each and every week on Big Apple Buckets, we're going to turn to my man Mark Berman, longtime New York Knicks beat writer. Mark Berman, how you doing, man? Hey, Kaz, how are you? Uh, could be better. Could be better. Yeah, uh, man, it's, it seems like after the uh, Celtics loss, even though, you know, there's no moral victories in the NBA, there was a lot of good things to take away from that uh, defeat, especially with Frank Nilekina starting and, uh, you know, the play of uh, Julius Randle, Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett and uh, Kevin Knox. However, um, they seem to just lay an absolute egg this past Sunday against the Sacramento Kings. And uh, there's a lot of finger pointing between, you know, R.J. Barrett minutes played and point guard play and Julius Randle play. What what was the what was the atmosphere in the locker room last night after such a, a deflating loss, especially in the home court? Yeah, it was as silent in that locker room as the entire season, including preseason. It was morose. I'm still stunned by the performance. The, the schedule finally let up a little bit, and I expected the Knicks to really have a big game, and so did Fisdale. And Fisdale ripped the team as solidly as he had, you know, since the first day of training camp, uh, using strong language, crap game, he said a couple of times. And he was so disappointed. One and six is just a tough hole. I mean, this team wants to try to get into a playoff race eventually, 
And it you know, now they go on the road for two games in Detroit and Dallas. That's not going to be easy. This was the game to win. And not only didn't they win, they were not competitive down 20 points uh, early in the second quarter. I mean, it was it was remarkably bad. And this, the players were really devastated in the locker room. I mean, you play 82 games and you have to keep an even keel. But even Julius Randle, who's, you know, has tried to say the right things about we're getting better and things are in the right direction. He even said last night in the locker room that this is a game we can't even learn anything from. I, I completely agree. And, I, and I'm glad you brought up Julius Randle because – Outside of the uh, first game against the San Antonio Spurs when he looked excellent, uh, he seemed to just regress and just look slow, look uh, just careless with the ball, just kind of barreling through, just, you know, can't hit anything from outside the paint, especially from three-point range. What has been going on with Julius Randle? What have you seen that have just had him just look just absolutely awful the past couple of games? Yeah, Kaz, I'm definitely getting a little concerned about Julius and the pressure is on him. He's never really faced this type of attention on the court and off the court. I mean, I was just looking at the stats. I didn't even realize after last night's 0 for 4 from three-point range, he's 1 of 18. They changed the lineup, put Portis in its center, uh, took out Mitchell Robinson, hoped to get more spacing, more room for Randall to operate, and it really didn't happen. He had a very sluggish performance on both ends of the court. He, for the second straight game, didn't even hit double figures. This is the guy who has to be their best player. Otherwise, this season is going to be a real long one, and his confidence looks shot already. The other night in Boston, even though it was a great performance by the team, I thought, on the road against the Celtics, Randall was very moody. He was giving us one word, two word, three word answers. Uh, last night, he, you know, was more philosophical about stuff. And he just said, I got to look at the film. I got to see if this lineup change uh, had help, helped me at all. But things are really rotten on the Randall front. Now, I know he's rebounding well. And honestly, that's probably the only thing he's doing really well. Um, is there a scenario where you possibly think Randall will be better off coming off the bench at this point until he kind of finds his mojo. Boy, uh, that's a great point. Hasn't been brought up to Fisdale. Fisdale will try anything at this point. You know, you pay the guy $63 million. It's just a tough call by the coach to bench Randall. But his minutes have gone down a little bit. Uh, interesting scenario. Uh, if you're suggesting maybe a Knox... Portis and Mitchell Robinson front court or Morris Portis and Robinson front court. I mean, there are options. Kevin Knox had a dud of a game last night, but he's he's shot the ball well before the Sacramento game. So I'm sure, you know, the coaching staff canceled practice. They're huddling, looking at film, trying to figure out a very – difficult roster it we knew going into the season there were a lot of new faces a lot of position battles and they haven't figured it out yet after seven games on the, on a little bit more of a positive note it seems like Marcus Morris 
has uh, found his shot. He started off a little slowly. He's starting to get his offensive rhythm back. Um, what have you seen out of him in the locker room? I know a lot of people have kind of looked at him as kind of like the the locker room leader. He kind of set the tone in the preseason with that boink on the head with the basketball on against the Washington Wizards. Um, he seemed to kind of find his offense, and he's been the emotional leader of the Knicks for the short, uh, you know, for the the young season so far. Uh, what have you seen out of him that has kind of seen him uh, get his offense back on the track, even though the Knicks aren't really doing that well? Yeah, you hit the right points there. He surpassed Randall as the team leader in the locker room, playing you know a lot better than Randall. He had some nice comments supporting Fizdale in the locker room late last night. He said that he's giving us great stuff to work with. We're not executing. Uh, he's he's the most fiery player on the court. Uh, he did get into a shooting slump but he's broken out of it the past two games, putting up close to 30 points each night. Could have been the hero in Boston with that great three-point tying basket uh, with four seconds left, but they could not stop Tatum at the end. But yeah, Marcus is really turning into a, a true leader off the court. And yeah, it's tough to take him out of the starting lineup. You want to see Knox, more of Knox, but that's going to have to wait. Uh, another... Sort of bright spot, but almost could have been a not not so bright spot was uh, the play of R.J. Barrett. He uh, put up another 20-point game against the Kings with 22 points, but played 37 minutes last night, especially when the game seemed to be completely out of hand. Uh, you know, a lot of people may have starting to get on Fisdale about playing him too much. He responded by saying he's 19 years old. R.J. Barrett seemed to kind of double down on that. He said he seemed fine. Uh, what have you saw um, out of R.J.? And, uh, you know, the minutes he's playing, he doesn't look gassed at all to you. He doesn't look like he's uh, putting on too much of a stress, especially playing out of position as well. Right. But it's early November. And, you know, the minutes actually got up to 41 because he played the final few minutes of garbage time. And that's sort of why Fisdale was questioned about it. Uh, why are you putting RJ on the court in garbage time when he's logging so many minutes and you're always afraid of hitting the rookie wall? Fisdale got angry and said enough about this load management. He's 19 years old. Drop it already. Uh, he seemed uh, angry that a, a reporter would question him uh, about playing Barrett in garbage time. But listen, we've all seen rookies hit the, hit the wall, and they do it at certain points, different points this season. I'm worried myself. You know, you play 30 or so games in college, a little more than that, and – he leads the league in minutes, and and he's been a little less efficient. I mean, we talked about, you mentioned his 22 points, but his free throw shooting has continued to be abysmal. And, yeah, I'm worried about him. He's the bright spot right now, and he's starting, you know, I'm worried about him wearing down a little bit as the season goes on. My theory is that Fisdale is trying to get him that rookie award and putting him in in the final minutes, and I think he scored another basket, and, trumping up his stats a little more. Uh, with Zion out for a while, I think Fisdale really wants to see Barrett win that award, and that's going to make Fisdale look good. So it is a little bit of an issue right now. Uh, can you keep playing this guy 38 minutes a night? Yeah, you know, that's a little that's a little concerning to me because, you know, you got a guy like Fisdale who, you know, you would think 
you would think that his 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 focus is on winning games. And if he's worried about R.J. Barrett getting Rookie of the Year awards, you know that's that's another alarming thing. Speaking of alarming, uh, the fire Fisdale chance started to come down last night against the Kings. And uh, you know I've I've been in a lot of Garden crowds. I've I've seen countless Knicks uh, fans, and when they get restless, when they have passion, they'll boo you. But yesterday it went from just just quiet desolateness to those faint fire Fisdale chants. And granted, it's way too early in the season to even be talking about that. But do you even see a scenario where he doesn't finish the season as this coach? Yeah, I mean, I, I do see that scenario. But, I mean, it's way too early, you're right, to start speculating on when Mills and Perry would make the move. But it was disappointing to me. Listen, you, you said there were faint chance, and they were. And they came out of uh, a couple of sections that were near the press box, so they felt louder to us, maybe than someone maybe sitting downstairs. But it was disappointing that in the seventh game you'd hear that uh, it was only two chance, two separate occasions, and it lasted about ten seconds. Uh, about you know, on my uh, Fisdale fire chant meter. But uh, once it starts, it doesn't really go away. And, you know, if they get blown out again at home in a week, you may hear it resurface. And it's just not a good thing for the players to hear. Uh, I'm hoping it goes away. You don't want a home court disadvantage. It's tough to play at the Garden. They don't do that in other cities, uh, chanting for the coach to be fired like that. So... I'd like to see it go away for now. Yeah, in December, if they're terrible, the whole garden will be chanting it and probably justified. But we're so early in November. It's an 82-game season. I would hope the garden fans could be a little more patient with Fisdale. It's, again, they talk about it all the time in the locker room. We got 10 new faces, and we're still trying to figure it out. Mark Berman, after a tough uh, stretch of games this week, uh, hopefully next week on Big Apple Buckets we can talk about some victories, man. Always great having you on the podcast, and take it easy. All right, thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. Take care. You too, brother. This week's guest on Big Apple Buckets traveled the entire world because of the game of basketball, but found a home right here in New York City, playing five seasons with the New York Knicks, including a trip to the NBA Finals, point guard extraordinaire, Guys, make some noise. Welcome to Big Apple Buckets. My man, Chris Childs. What's going on, family? I'm doing good, man. I've never had extraordinaire added to my name, but I appreciate it. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a New Yorker. I see. I, I feel like I watched every single one of your games for the Knicks, and I remember the, the toughness that you came and played with every, every single week. And I know it's not easy playing point guard in the NBA. So when I say extraordinaire, I mean that, man. I really do. <laughs> I'll accept that because you definitely have to be extraordinary to play in New York. Exactly, exactly. And I'm so glad you got into it because uh, that's going to be one of the first things I'm going to ask you, man. Uh, Aside from a lot of the things going on with the Knicks, the one one place that doesn't seem to have any real stability right now has been the point guard position between, you know, what's going on with Dennis Smith Jr. and his personal life, uh, Alfred Payton with his injury, and uh, Frank Nielakina. Um, you've been in point guard battles before. You've had to share the load. You've had to start. You've had to be one of those guys that just had to be ready whenever your number was called. Uh, what are some of the things that you noticed uh, with this season's Knicks as far as uh, the point guard battle between 
Neil Aquina, I know Smith has had his issues. Even R.J. Barrett, who's played a little bit of point guard. What have you noticed from these crop of guards? Well, let, let me first start off by sending a shout-out to uh, Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, with his loss. Uh, that's tough to deal with, uh, especially, you know, playing in the NBA and the people that support you when you lose one of your support system. It's always tough. So a shout-out to him. Um, it's, it's tough watching uh, the team go through what they're going through because I think right now at the point guard spot, they have yet to have a role defined on how they're going to play the game. It seems like it's a different style every night. And I don't think you can get any consistency that way if there's no uh, style of play that you already have in your frame of mind before you get out there that you're going to play that night. Uh, I don't know where their confidence level is at um, when they're out there playing because it seems like a lot of times there's no flow to the game. Uh, they're reacting a lot to what the other team is doing instead of making them react. So it's still a young season. These, these guards are young. they got to learn on the fly. Uh, it's going to be tough, but I got faith that they can turn it around. Now, you mentioned something about, uh, you know, not really knowing your role and not really knowing your style. While as, you know, when you played for the Knicks, the Knicks had a distinct way that they had to play. Um, being as a, a former NBA point guard, a former professional basketball player, did you ever were you ever in a situation where you just kind of felt like you didn't really know what your role was? And how did that kind of permeate throughout the team? Like, how's, how important is it that certain players know when they're going to play and when they're not going to play distinctions? And how much of that lies on the coach? Well, the first thing, I, when I got there, I was already 25. I had spent time in the CBA, so uh, I was a little more mature and uh, accepting to a lot of the business side of the uh, NBA. Uh, but these guys that are playing right now, uh, I think they get, they're get they kind of confused because they don't know when they're going to get in the game. They don't know when they're going to start. But as professionals, you got to be ready at all times when your number's called. And at the, at the end of the day, the bottom line is to win. In my, in my, my mindset and Charlie's mindset was to win the game, do whatever needed to be done on any given night. Uh, were, were we 100% happy that we had to pass the ball sometimes and go to the corner? Absolutely not. No player would that worked his uh, tail off to get to the NBA. But the satisfaction and the gratification comes from getting the W. And we learned that as, as, as playing in New York, that that's all that matters. So you can't get within yourself and let your ego get involved. You have to put the team first. And that's what I was able to do. That was Charlie was able to do. And hopefully these young guys uh, learn that on the way. Now, obviously, your numbers don't jump out the window, you know what I'm saying, when you're, when you're looking at stats. But I watched those games. I grew up watching those 90s Knicks teams. I remember watching you and Charlie Ward share the backcourt and do everything that had to be done to get wins. So is it a little frustrating when you see, you know, players kind of coming in with a little – I don't want to say uh, entitled mentality, but kind of not really doing what they need to do for the good of the team, but probably just doing it for the good of themselves, especially somebody like you who've had to kind of like scratch and claw your way just to get to the NBA and get to the Knicks. And, you know, all of that work eventually, you know, lending yourself to get into the NBA Finals, right? Yeah, well, that, that comes with maturity. Uh, a lot of these guys, I'm looking at their – the roster right now, and I'm seeing their date of birth and the years that they were in college, um, they, these guys are still young. Uh, they got a coach in Fizz that 
comes from that background of how we played the game. So I'm pretty sure he's instilling that in those guys. But it takes time for it to, you know, sink in. Uh, the difference is the way you have to play for 82 games for us to be successful. Uh, they've had a lot of, you know, ups and downs and guys missing games or, or whatnot. So uh, hopefully um, they'll they'll figure it out. So they got Alfred, who's played a while. Uh, I'm looking at, and I know RJ played the point guard a lot too. And I think he'll be good at that position in first. But they need uh, Dennis Smith. And um, we'll say, oh, Frank, they need those guys to step up. Now, just elaborate on that because, you know, there's, especially after last night, I watched the game against the Kings. They looked a little bit, you could say a lot of things about their record. And I, and I went on record as saying, you know, this didn't look like a one of five team because it seemed like these guys fought every game. But last night, they didn't really seem like they had a lot of fight in them. Is there anything specifically you can attribute to that? I'm not sure. I mean, like I said, they're young. Uh, but you have to compete in the NBA. You're not going to always score the basketball, and I think that's the difference now. Everything is emphasis on scoring, but we knew that if we didn't score, we would stop. We can go to that. If the shot's not going in, you can always play defense, and I think they just hit a wall last night because that wasn't the team that I saw play against Boston. You know, that was like a like night and day compared to what they, when they played against the Kings, and uh, you have to understand when when you're when you're playing against a team and teams come to New York to play, that's the highlight of their East Coast trip. Everybody wants to come to New York and perform. And it's your job to not let them perform on a higher level. It's to break their will and take their will away from playing. Uh, but I, last night was just I was I was in I was sitting there watching it and my mouth was open because I couldn't believe uh, the, that that. That was the same team that just played Boston. Yeah, because you can't coach effort, man. Like, and that Boston team, that same team that went to the Garden a few weeks ago and and trampled and, and ruined the home opener for the Knicks, they went into Boston and gave them everything they had. And I know moral victories are for minor league coaches, but that seemed like something that the Knicks could build on. So seeing them regress against the Kings seemed like a little bit of a, a very a big disappointment. Um, let's talk about your playing days, man. I know uh, that those 90s teams, that team that got to the NBA Finals, that lost against the uh, San Antonio Spurs, was a very special team. It was a lockout-shortened season. There was a lot of serendipitous things that happened between the Allen Houston bounce to, you know, uh, getting to the Finals against the Pacers, finally getting over those guys, the Patrick Ewing injury. There was so many storylines going through that uh, that one team. How special to you was that team that went to the NBA Finals, man? It was uh, it was awesome, man. Because you know, as you know, as you as you mentioned, it was a shortened season. I think we played like fifty games or whatnot, and we started off real slow. And I'm I'm not acting. I don't know if I'm accurate. I know we won the last ten out of fifteen games. I think I'm not exactly sure, but it was some number like that just to get in, and yeah. that's all we cared about. Because you were the eighth we, seed, we right? Be, yeah, we just wanted to get in. Let's get in. We take that HP. We know who's at number one, and we know how much we hate those guys. And so that hate fueled the way we played. And so once we got in, the mentality was it wasn't just Jeff and the coaching staff that was, you know, talking us up about the game. We had a collective group of leaders that we would meet up and, and decide within the players 
what we were going to do and how we were going to go by doing it. So uh, that core of guys was, was special, and we, we we fought to the end. Uh, we wanted the Heat so bad because you know they were running their mouth and stuff, and we didn't like them. They didn't like us, and that's what Rob and Reason for. And uh, we was able to get out of that series, but we were banged up. After that was a physical, physical series. I know I was banged up, Charlie. Uh, LJ, his back was messed up the whole year. He sacrificed so much, and uh, with Spree and and Allen on the wings, and Marcus doing the bang up job that he did, trying to play center after Patrick got hurt. Uh, it was just an awesome year, man. You know, you, you mentioned it was it was a it was a fight. You know what I'm saying? Like, that series wasn't, you know, it wasn't ballet. And I understand ballet is a hard thing to do. But this is definitely a fight. And it kind of is, it goes back to a bygone era where, you know, scores were low, defense was played, people getting hit. There's no real easy buckets. Do you watch the game now and kind of think, like, man, these guys – these guys wouldn't have survived in my time. Like, what, what, what kind? What's the feeling you get when you watch a guy like Mike Scott and the Sixers get a get a flagrant foul for like grazing somebody going to the rim? Right, that push that was amazing. Then <laughs> uh, now he gets ejected out of the game for that. But I understand, you know, the game changes and whatnot. And you know, I don't want to come off sounding uh, bitter like old school player or whatever, but. Some of the guys probably could play, and probably all of them. We all have to adjust, but it's hard watching those games and seeing the the, the ticky-tack fouls being flagrant. Uh, I remember, you know, when I was getting ready to come to the league and I saw Carl Malone elbow uh, Isaiah Thomas in the middle of his forehead, and it was just split, and there was blood dripping, and how mad Isaiah was that he wanted to get back in the game to end up you know, putting his hands around the coach's neck, not to hurt the coach, but just the, the fight that he had and he wanted to get back in there. He can't believe that this guy did that. I don't see that anymore. And I guess it changes because of the internet, you know, all the stuff that went on when I was playing, a lot of guys probably would be arrested, but <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. You it know, was, speaking of which, that's, that's, that's what we call in the podcast a segue. Speaking of which, uh, you know, we got to bring it up, man. It's one of the most iconic memories, and for me anyway, because you know, growing up, I remember watching that that moment, you and Kobe Bryant squaring up. You know, young Kobe coming over here. You already say you didn't like the Heat because they talk a lot of mess. And you know, if you watch any of Kobe's old stuff now, he he talks about how much he talked to other people on the court, and then you guys got into it. You know, I'm sure he said something you didn't like. I'm sure you said something he didn't like. And it led into one of the most uh, memorable NBA fights in, uh, in in basketball history. Take me back into what exactly went into uh, what led to you squaring up with Kobe Bryant. Well, let me first start off by saying shout out to Kobe, uh, unbelievable player. Uh, that takes nothing away from his career, one of the best to ever do it. But with that being said, it wasn't a lot of talking until the warning came before the punch. So that was the only talking. What happened, we got cross-matched. Uh, Allen was guarding uh, Kobe for a while, and then Allen took a shot. So the point guard's job is to get back and cover for the two guards. So I ended up matched up on Kobe a couple times going down the paint, and he was throwing elbows. And I don't have a problem with anything below the shoulders. But when they start coming above the shoulders, you can hurt somebody. I've had a fractured uh, fibula, I mean, I feel an orbital bone. 
Uh, I've had four concussions, so I take offense to that. We get cross-messed again, and he hit me with another elbow. So I look at the ref, and I remember it like it was yesterday. It was Monty McCutcheon. We were in, we were together in the CBA. He was ref, and I was playing. So I'm like, look, Monty, you go, you know, do something about this? And he gave me the emoji hands like, I don't know. Uh, he was like, okay, I'll take care of it. So we get, we go around a pick uh, with a shack setting a pick, and I say, hey, young son, you do that again, I'm going to have to take off on you. And so he, I guess he didn't think Pat Neat was crazy. And uh, he walked up on me, and then I'm looking like, okay, he's three inches taller. So my head, top of my head was by his chin. And so him walking up on me, I had to push him off a little bit, and he hit me with another little chicken elbow. And at that time, I was done with the elbows, and I had to, you know, let the young fella know. Pick the wrong one today. <laughs> now it's it's uh you know we always look back at that with fondness, but just because now you look at the NBA and it's just you'll you'll never see that anymore. Like we 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 saw the the, the pillow fight between Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns last week, and oh, uh-huh. yeah yeah the, the the bear hug match that happened between them. You know that, that it seems like something that you would get almost arrested for now. So if you're watching that and, and that's something that'll make you lose two games. Do you remember what, what the, what the penalty was for that, for that fist fight between you and Kobe last time? Uh, I got, I got two games. Yeah. I got two games suspension and I got, well, two games. That means that's two fine, two paychecks. So it was a hundred thousand dollars. I think I lost, but I think I remember I went into David Stern's office and he told me if I didn't get into any more altercations, that twenty, I would get either eighty percent back or twenty percent back, and the rest would go to charity. Uh, that's just off the top of my head, but that meeting it kind of messed me up because I got into it with Michael and couldn't pull the trigger because he almost got it. And wait, wait, you got you and you and you and MJ got into it? Yeah, we got into it in uh, in Chicago. He threw if you if you watch the tape with me and Michael. He throws an elbow. He throws the elbow that catches me in the back of the head while I'm blocking him out for a rebound, and I take the ball and throw it at him. He acts like he wants to charge, and I'm getting ready to square up. But then I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I can't get to any more fights. You're ready to take off a mic, and you're like, "Dad, that eighty, that eighty percent of that that game check money might be real nice right now." Yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know, at at that time, I had uh uh. Three kids, so that that eighty uh, percent was for their uh, their college tuition. But I uh, I held back, and we got into it. And he has a real bad habit of when he gets into it with people, he kind of like takes his hand and look like he wants to scratch you in the face. Because we did that with Reggie Miller, and and so I remember that the next time that we met up, that if he ever charged me again, he's gonna get it too. And then the other one was Tim Hardaway. I wanted him so bad, but I couldn't do anything because, you know, of the penalty that David Stern would assess if I uh, got into another altercation. Oh, man. So, the so, question I got to ask now, man, like, have you and Kobe spoken since then? Like, and if so, can you take him right now? If he squared up to you one more time, <laughs> if you had to, right, if you had, now? right now, you got you to lace oh, the gloves man. up. Sometimes, you know, it's like riding a bike when you do with your hands, but I probably wouldn't last with about 30 seconds. <laughs> but no, all, all, all seriousness, though, with, with, with Kobe, uh, we haven't spoken. 
you know, we ran into each other a couple of times uh, during the summer out in L.A. playing ball, but we haven't spoke. I'm pretty sure uh, he's tired of hearing about it, but it's something that it's something that happens. And when it comes to me, I just want, you know, people to know that I was more than just that. I know that's part of the history and people like talking about it. I'm fine with it. But we did some amazing things uh, with the Knicks, and hopefully – these guys can take some inspiration uh, from that because you can you can play that way. You just have to be smart about it. And it's not about being, you know, just physical and hurting people, but you have to put a stamp, a stamp on how you're going to play the game every night. And defensively, you can do that. Offensively, it fluctuates because the ball doesn't go in all the time. So they need to hang their hat on defense. And when people come to the garden, you got to let them have it, and you have to, you know, stand for something. And uh, I think if they do that, they'll turn their season around. Now, Chris Childs, you know, I mean, the numbers don't jump out at you, but you, you said it yourself. You set the tone. You played hard on defense, and Knicks fans remember you to this day because of it. Chris, thanks for coming to Big Apple Buckets. We'll see you down the season, and uh, let's do it again sometime. What you say? Anytime, brothers. I appreciate you guys. And like I said, to the Knicks fans, be patient. I love you guys. The players love you. Keep rooting them on. They'll turn it around, and I'll be in the garden soon. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. My man Chris Childs right here on Big Apple Buckets. And that is a wrap for this episode of Big Apple Buckets, our New York Knicks podcast with the New York Post. Thanks to our producer, my boy Jake Brown, for making it all happen. We got you covered with new episodes each and every Tuesday. Make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your preferred podcast platforms. Make sure you leave me a five-star rating, man. I need that. You can find more Knicks news by signing up for our daily New York Post sports newsletter and by visiting NewYorkPost.com. We'll be back next Tuesday, hopefully with a Knicks win or two to talk about. We'll see you all then. And follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Kazim, K-A-Z-E-E-M. Until then, take it easy.